0: Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax-Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax-Efficient Investor.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today to talk about tax-efficient investing is Carrie Cook. Carrie is the CEO of Preferred Trust. Carrie, thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Carrie,
1: I want to start today. Bear with me here, uh, talking about the Earl of Chesterfield, uh, and I promise I'll make this make sense. So, in, in okay. 1774, he wrote. To his son in a letter whatever is worth doing at all is worth doing well so i think we've all heard that um but the earl of chesterfield who came up with it uh, yeah. a couple of years before the, the american revolution and I, as i came across that the other day i thought that kind of applies to investing in general and, and specifically retirement planning um a lot of folks they they do things that are worth doing but they don't necessarily do them well or as well as they could um, and I thought, you know, it applies to the the Roth IRA too. Uh, certainly worth doing. I think everyone would agree with that. One of the most powerful tax savings retirement tools out there. Um, a lot of folks do it, but maybe not in the best way. And we'll talk a little bit, um, okay. a little bit more about that. Um, but Perry, um, thanks for bearing with me there. But as we as we kind of jump in here, let's start with an executive summary, high level. What's a self directed IRA? What is it? How can people use it?
0: Yeah. So self-directed IRA um, is really an opportunity to go outside of your traditional investing types, your traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and look at alternatives as a way to diversify your portfolio. And you do that through the same means of the qualified plans that you're using for your stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, but you're doing it with usually a third-party custodian, um, somebody that is not the big box custodians that will allow you um, the alternative options. And when I say alternative, we're talking all different kinds of alternatives. Um, and that's that's the premise behind it is diversification within your retirement account. And it's really, I hate to say it's that simple, but I'm gonna keep things very simple today because it doesn't have to be hugely complex. Um, it's just an opportunity to diversify your portfolio.
1: Sure. So you use the term "big box," or um, mm-hmm. I call it the plain vanilla IRA. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, what a lot of folks yeah. have, they'll they'll open up an account at uh, at Vanguard or, or Schwab. And there's some great things about those; they're they're easy, for example. Um, but mm-hmm. you're fairly the downside is you're fairly limited. You can invest in in stocks and bonds, kind of these these plain vanilla asset classes. Um, and and in, you know, particular, I, I mentioned at the top of the show, folks maybe not using the Roth to its fullest potential. Um, yeah, I always advise people. Kara, I know you can't give you can't give tax advice, but I always advise people you want to put you know what, what your home runs are going to be. That's a great those are great assets to put into a Roth because uh, there's no taxes on the withdrawal. So uh, if, if you have a you know an asset that you think is going to perform really well, um, it's a great asset to put inside a Roth IRA. If you just have the the big box or the plain vanilla one, um, you can't always do that. So um, Sarah, you, you mentioned, uh, you guys have a, a great little um, piece of collateral, it's called a, uh, a roadmap to retirement, and you kind of list out some of the assets that you can hold in uh, in a self-directed IRA. So you kind of alluded to that, but uh, if you don't mind, dive a little bit deeper. What are some of the assets that, that can be held and that you see commonly held in a self-directed IRA?
0: Yeah. Some of the most popular, one of them surprises me. Um, is oil and gas because there's so okay. many tax advantages to, to yeah. not having it in a qualified plan. But when I'm talking about oil and gas, I'm more talking about the mineral rights, which leans towards mm. the residential investing side uh, where you're participating in more of the royalties. And so, you know, passive income, simple investments, real no tax benefit to not having them in a qualified plan. Um, real estate is the number one i think it's what most of us understand best as soon as you own your own home and you start to build a little equity i think the general population can understand wait a second this is a good investment and i want to have another one um precious metals you know hedging against inflation you know we have a lot of uh, aging americans that are looking at and and probably be marketed on the armageddon side of things where they're like oh i got to get some metals you know i got to get some metals because if all else fails at least i have that I don't know where they're going to sell them, but you know, nevertheless, it's it's a it's a fun way to hedge against inflation, and then it kind of goes from there. I mean, we have been involved in a lot of different transactions, and that's the beauty of having more of a boutique uh, third party mm-hmm. custodian is that we do think outside the box, um, and I'm talking about big box. We're thinking outside of the big box, and so we're looking at you know digital currency, and we could talk about that a little bit later. But you know, I'm a proponent of it, um, but in a certain way of custodying it, uh, which we could talk a little bit about. I'm very risk adverse. So I'm looking for ways to build wealth without, you know, you're not going to hit a home run every time, but without losing it. We have investments in cattle. We have investments in farming. I mean, the sky is the limit. There's really only three things you cannot invest in, um, which we obviously stay away from, but everything else is on the table.
1: Okay. So what what are the three things I got to ask that you can invest in?
0: That's right. So the three things are collectibles. And when we talk about collectibles, a lot of people will immediately steer me and say, well, what do you mean? You just told me I can invest in precious metals. You're right. But if it's not 99.9% pure, chances are it's probably collectible. Um, and your rugs, your wine collection. I mean, if I cannot hold custody of it as the custodian, I don't know that you're not drinking your wine. So you, all collectibles, anything that's related on the collectible side. Um, life insurance policy. Your life insurance policy cannot be inside of your IRA, although life settlement policies could. So if you're using it as an investment vehicle, that could be part of your self-directed IRA. But if you're using it as your personal life insurance policies or on somebody that is a disqualified person, that is not allowed. And then the last one is somewhat questionable in the sense of S-corp stock. Um, And I say S-corp stock because anything that has a tax benefit already the IRS doesn't want you to get another tax benefit from that. And I'm sure we're going to go into more details about that uh, as we continue to talk. But those are the three things that you cannot hold in a self-directed IRA.
1: Okay, great. That, that's that's a great list there. Um, I love hearing about cattle and, and mineral rights too. There's a kind of a whole world. I think folks are listening to this and their uh, mind is hopefully expanding a little bit about what they can potentially have in, in an IRA. So, um, well, well, let's future let's into a gray area a little bit, Carrie. Let's okay. talk about um there was an article a few years ago um i get questions about this all the time i'm guessing you do too it was in pro, pro publica we'll put a link in the show notes uh it's called i think lord of the roths was the title of it about how peter yes. Thiel had at the time five billion with a b in his in his roth ira uh it's probably probably quite a bit more than that now this yeah. article is a few years old at this point yeah um and i i think that the the way that he did this was he purchased his his founder shares or his uh, his founder shares in PayPal mm-hmm. in his Roth IRA. Um, and there's you know not a lot of ways to get money. Uh, you're pretty pretty limited in how much money you can put into a Roth IRA each year right now. It's sixty five hundred dollars if you're under age fifty, another thousand uh, dollars catch up if you're above. Yeah. Um, so you know I think Peter Thiel played by those rules, but then made mm-hmm. essentially very very smart investments. Yeah. Um, with his with his Roth IRA, um, and I'm kind of reading between the lines here um, of, of what I what I believe he did, um, how he was able to to rack up this this five billion dollars. He's yeah. not the only one. The article has some uh, one of Warren Buffett's lieutenants has a couple hundred million. Buffett himself, I think, has twenty million or so in his Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, so Peter Thiel's not the only one, but he's the um, I don't want to say the most most egregious but um the most impressive i guess is the, the flip yeah. side of that coin of what yeah. he's been able to do mm-hmm. um so i get the question a lot about well can i put shares of, of a startup company uh in, into into a roth ira um so i'm guessing you get those questions too from time to time carrie how do you how do you answer those questions
0: we do so uh, you know <laughs> we all have a common goal and the common goal is pay as least as you possibly can in taxes. Right. And, you know, this topic is, it's difficult sometimes when you fall into a category, uh, what the government would consider wealthy. And um, I will admittedly say that I am in that category and being in that category sometimes makes you look at things a lot differently than um, middle America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up, you know, I was a military brat. Um, you know, we didn't grow up with a ton of money, but, um, like others that become wealthy, you know, we make good business decisions or we make good investment decisions. And sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. So yes, does this article come up? Yes. Does mega Roth come up? Yes. Um, how do I get myself to this place, Carrie? Yes. All of those questions come up. Um, but the reality is, is we're all going to pay taxes. We're all going to pay our fair share, no matter how much we make. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we're all paying taxes. So we're all in this together. Um, what is different about this is that as you be- the more wealthy you become, the more you look for opportunities to save on paying taxes because you're paying more taxes. That's just the, the lay of the land. Yep. And so that's where this topic really becomes a conversation piece when you are what's considered a high net worth individual. And from the Roth perspective of being able to contribute to Roth, that's kind of where it starts. So the IRS determines wealth based on um, a household income or a single person income of your ability to contribute to a Roth. So that's really the basis mm-hmm. of where it starts. And in twenty uh, twenty three, um, it's hundred. I think the max is one hundred and fifty three thousand for single household income and 228 for a married household income in order to contribute the 6,500 that you just mentioned. So think about that for just a second. Many of us out there probably don't consider ourselves high net worth individuals as a married couple making $228,000 a year. Chances are we're probably spending a lot of that just to live, right? Yeah, especially if you're living in New
1: York or Seattle or San Francisco.
0: Exactly, but then there's, there's the... The affordable opportunities that the IRS has given us. They created this Roth with the intent of being able to have a tax free income sheltered environment. The whole premise behind it was what? Pension plans were being destroyed by making bad investment decisions. And this Roth IRA came out of it. Senator Roth brought this up many, many, many times before it was actually uh, put into law where a Roth IRA was an option, right? For all that time before that, we had the traditional, but the Roth came about with the whole idea of how do you catch up from everything you've lost by not having your pension plan anymore? That's where it all started, which is kind of crazy when you really think about it that, you know, fast forward 30 years later and we're having discussion about how do you limit this now? Right. <laughs> you know, and so And those discussions are being had, those proposals are out there and I've been monitoring them very, very closely. Um, But the reality is is those who can continue to make more money continue to look for ways to have tax-free opportunities. And that's where this Roth component comes into place. And everything that these individuals did to build those Roths to where they are, they did it within the compounds of what the IRS allows.
1: That's right. So I stand by what they did yeah that's right it's a a great history lesson and and not only what the irs uh allows but what what was incentivized right that's right when there's when there's an incentive that exists it's put in place because we i say we as a society through our legislators we want to incentivize something and and you just gave kind of a nice a nice history here that probably a lot of folks aren't familiar with uh, of, of not only doing what's allowed, but in fact what um, what what the government wanted us to do, right? Exactly. Um, I, I always I always tell people they they feel like they're doing something uh, like they're doing something wrong or, or dangerous, taking advantage of some of the, the the tax incentives that are out there. And I say, not only you're doing what's okay, you're doing what what the government wants you to do. That's why yeah. an incentive exists. Think about the word incentive.
0: Yeah, that no pun intended. But you started with the roadmap. That's the roadmap they laid for us. We're just driving yeah.
1: on. Yeah. We're just
0: driving the road.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so um, I know that when we let's let's get a little bit into the weeds here and talk okay. about holding shares in in a privately held company. Um, and yeah. I, I know that this kind of depends on a, a lot of the scenarios. There's some prohibited transactions. There's there's things that you can screw up here. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when folks want to have a privately held company, they want to invest in a privately held company or get their startup shares, uh, own a startup in in a, a self directed IRA. Um, what are the questions they need to ask? What what do they need to be aware of? What can they screw up um as they try to do this?
0: Sure. Well, there's a couple couple things that we talk to everybody about. Um, when they're interested in investing in their own company, and I think that's where it becomes um um uh, a little bit hairy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I say this because the IRS defines it as you cannot own more than 50% of that company for your IRA to invest in it. Okay. So I don't know how many of us out there own more than 50% of a company and do not have any activity within the company. And here's where it becomes a little bit squirrely. So less than 50%. So let's start there. So 49%, you can own up to 49% and invest in it through your IRA. Now, of that 49%, we have to break down, what does that 49% consist of? because disqualified individuals are part of that 49% margin so a disqual disqualified individual is lineal descent right so if it's from parent to you to children there's a high probability that all of those individuals or there is a probability that all of those individuals are disqualified but then you also have to include your spouse that's mm-hmm. disqualified as well but let's say it's you and your brother that are owning 49% that's okay it's it's you know, it's one of those moments where you gotta go, huh, how did the IRS come up with this rule? <laughs> but that's just the reality of what, what the, the disqualified individual and how it's defined by the IRS. So we ask that question second. The third question that we're asking has to do with more of the self-dealing side of things. Like how are you actually involved in the company? Owning 49%, there's a like, a very high probability That you have some involvement in the company, you're contributing to the success of the company, you're benefiting from the success of the company. And if either of those two variables play into your 49%, then it's probably disqualified as well, which is super difficult to determine. So, as a self directed custodian, we should be, I say, should be, because I don't think we all do, but we should be asking those questions before we're setting our clients up for failure. And failure is very costly when you have a disqualifying event. And so those are the three components that we look at as far as asking questions first and foremost, to determine whether or not we can remove this from investment of the the IRA or involve it. And that's really where these mega IRAs came from. I mean, that really is where they came from. Yeah. The moment where you teeter over, that's the other thing you have to be careful of, right? Because if those three scenarios change, then you have a disqualifying event as well. So yep. the disqualifying event is not just upon initial investment; it's during the investment.
1: Yeah, great, great points there, Gary, and a great checklist for folks to to walk through. I wanted to talk a little bit more. You you kind of alluded to the the high cost of of failure, of screwing this up, of having a, a disqualifying event. Can you talk a little bit more about in the unfortunate event that happens, why that is why that's so costly?
0: Yeah. So since we're focused on the, the Roth IRA, I'm going to talk about it from the Roth IRA perspective, right. um, which is supposed to be a tax-free income scenario, right? But yep. the minute that we have these disqualifying events, um, self-directed custodians or custodians in general really are you know, governed under the IRS rules and regulations. We are put forth to govern those regulations. And so when we get wind of the fact that there is a disqualifying event, we are obligated, to not only report that but also to make sure that Mm. we have and treat it as a disqualifying event which includes disqualifying your entire ira so it may have only affected one of your investments but you now just affected your entire ira everything you have built towards all these years has now become taxable to you so the first there's a couple different penalties that are involved in this One is when this occurs, there's a 15% um, uh, prohibited transaction tax that is going to be every year that this occurred. So if this started in 2020, 2020, 2021, 2022 are all going to be affected by that 15% rule. If you fix the issue, then you can keep going down the path. If you do not fix the issue, or maybe it's not to your benefit to fix the issue, or maybe you don't have the option to fix the issue, then your entire IRA is taxed to you 100%. And so all of those taxes that you didn't pay for all of those years, congratulations, you are now going to pay all of it. Um, yeah. Your Roth IRA has just imploded um, in, in, in front of you. And, and it's just so important. Many of us don't even know that we've done it. We don't even sure. know that we've done it. And then we have this conversation with our custodian Then all of a sudden it's like, boop, game over. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Um, so the custodian also has to give you, you know, the opportunity to fix the situation as well. Got
1: it. Yeah. So, um, we're 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 giving folks a lot of uh, a lot of bad news. or are kind of the the worst case scenario here, which I think is is good in a way. It's good to know kind of the importance, the high cost yeah. of failure of, yeah. of making sure that you that you get this right. Um Carrie, I want to ask you to talk a, a little bit about uh, I think that it is it's my understanding that the the onus here, the responsibility it ultimately falls on the investor. If If I make a, a prohibitive transaction, I'm the one who screwed it up. It's ultimately my fault. I'm the one who's going to pay the penalties. But, but, talk about the importance um of the of the custodian of having um, a partner in this, a, a self-directed IRA company uh, like Preferred Trust. you know there's there's a handful of companies out there that that do similar things. But um talk about the importance of of having a partner who's going to ask these tough questions, who's going to you know know the checklist to go through, not just give a rubber stamp and say, "Great, you want to put one hundred percent of your startup shares into the self-directed IRA?" Um uh, perfect, done. Uh, yeah, send it here.. Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit.
0: So we all do our due diligence a little bit different. Um, yeah. I'm only going to speak from the preferred trust side, um, but I can also speak a little bit from actually taking in accounts from other self-directed custodians okay. that, you know, you inevitably can see that mistakes were made. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with sometimes we grow too big too fast. And one of the things that preferred trust kind of prides itself in is is a steady eddy, right? We go hmm. We grow consistently year over year. We don't bite off more than we can chew. We're not taking on accounts just for revenue. It's it's definitely a uh, quality over quantity for us, which is very, very different in our world. I don't have 150 employees that I have to make sure I make payroll, where other companies do. So that quantity mm. is very important to them. Because quality is important to us, it's making sure that we're working with the right clients and that they understand not just what they're investing in, right? Because they've selected the investment. There's a self-directed IRA, but making sure that the, all the due diligence was done. The T's were crossed, the I's were dotted. You know, making sure that the company, if they do have a private placement memorandum that it's actually been filed with the SEC, um, and it's not just a you know, smoke and mirrors kind of show, that the business itself is actually in good standing. You know, all of those things are very important to us because ultimately that client becomes our client too. So it's not just a client of the investment sponsor, it's a client of preferred trust. So we have to make sure, or should be making sure that as a custodian, that you know if taxes are owed, taxes are paid. Like we yeah. are that governing body. And I think sometimes people forget that the IRS is not out here. I mean, if you asked me, when's the last time the IRS came in and audited you, carry? The answer would be never. So think about that for just a second. They don't have time to do this but they expect that if we are in this role that we are going to abide by the rules and the regulations that are set forth so not all custodians are created equal we are governed under the nevada financial institutions division in all states self directed custodians do not have state governance my mm-hmm. state governance and that's why there's only a couple of us in the state of nevada happens to be extraordinarily high our examinations happen every single year. We are a third party audited company. We you know we are following the rules and regulations of bSA, AML, all under banking regulations. Like we don't get the opportunity to really screw around too much, where in some states, it's still wild Wild West. So it's really important that when you're working with a self-directed custodian, if they have to follow governance that go beyond the IRS and step down into the state regulations of banking, chances are those examinations are probably quite intense and that's a company you wanna be working with because we do have to make sure we're asking those questions. It's not always asked with every self-directed custodian. So buyer beware, buyer beware. If they're not asking you questions and they're not doing due diligence about the investments you're investing in, then you're probably not getting the utmost advice that you probably should be.
1: That's that's a great summary there, Carrie. Um, you should be um, you probably should be a little annoyed with them at some point. Then probably means they're they're doing their job well. Um, and uh, and if they're not, um, you know, I I I had a boss who used to say that um, I, I can make you very happy today, um, but you should be pretty <laughs> unhappy down the road. Um, and that's always stuck with me that sometimes you know getting the the hard answer and the the right answer up front is is a lot better than. Um, just rubber stamping something and and kicking that can down the road because it's, uh, yeah. it's going to bite you eventually, more often it than will. not.
0: It will. Yeah. And the it, just because the IRS isn't auditing us, it doesn't mean they're not aud- auditing the American public because sure. they are. And that's really when the custodial strength shows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great point there. um You know, Terry, let me ask you, um, give folks a kind of a summary. People are listening to this. They say, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this. I want to explore a self-directed IRA. I think um, I think it's something that makes sense for me. What does the process look like for opening up uh, for opening up a self-directed IRA with a company like Preferred Trust?
0: Yeah, well, first and foremost, people don't wake up in the morning and go, oh gosh, oh, I want a self-directed IRA today. <laughs> um, so what's typically happening is individuals are finding an alternative asset first. And then yeah. they're realizing that they can't use what I'm referring to as the big box um, to be able to invest in these alternatives. That's when they really start looking for a self-directed custodian. So at that point, once you've identified an investment, opening up an account is pretty much as simple as opening up an account at a bank. Um you're you're providing, you know, the essential information to open up an account with your beneficiary information. Um, And then we're identifying where the funds are coming from. Uh, Typically what's happening is there's some sort of liquidation that's happening to get stuff into a liquid um, aspect where we can move those cash funds over into a self-directed IRA. We're not moving annuities over. We're not moving your stocks over and then liquidating once they get here. Liquidation is occurring with the existing custodian before it moves here. Once the funds are available in cash, I know this sounds way too simple. um, Then that investment that you came to us with the intent to invest in um, we process that investment and y- you have an investment in a self-directed IRA. It really does move that quickly um, because a lot of the preemptive stuff we're talking to you about as you're opening up your account, as we're waiting for the funds to move, um, that's probably the longest period of time. There are some custodians that quite frankly, just wanna hold on to that cash as long as they possibly can. So they'll put some crazy moratoriums on, You know, it's 10 days before we can actually send the funds. Uh, So it is what it is. You know, we have to work within those compounds. But once we have the funds here, then they're available for you to identify into the investments that you choose.
1: Got it. Um, And and Carrie, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for for joining me today. I think I've checked about everything off my bingo card. The Earl of Chesterfield, Mineral Rights, Cattle, State of Nevada. Uh, alcohol, rugs, collectibles, we've covered it all here. Um, So last question for you, Carrie, where can folks go if they wanna learn more about about you and and Preferred Trust?
0: Yeah, probably the easiest, you know, go online, preferredtrustcompany.com, look us up. You can see what we're about from our website. Um, There's consult pages there, call, talk to us. It doesn't cost anything um, to have the conversation, see if this is, you know, you have funds that are available, can be moved. That's probably the biggest question that we get. You know, I'm in a 401k right now. Can I move from my 401k? Um, likelihood, probably not. But let's 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 explore those opportunities and see if we can. Um, it's an old 401k. Absolutely, um, it's already in qualified funds. Not a problem. But uh, let's start there. Let's have the conversation. That's important to us to get to know our clients and get to know what you're interested in investing in.
1: Great. Thank you. And we will put, I'll put all those links uh, in the show notes. So if you want to reach out and and get in touch with Carrie, uh, we'll make it easy for you to do so. Um, Carrie, it's been incredibly informative. I I learned a lot here today. I want to thank you for coming on uh, for the history lesson, for some of the context and and some of the technical information as well. Uh, Thank you for joining me today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.